my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. This week, we're looking at the Christmas promise and the big question for today. Is the virgin birth a more than fable? Uh, today, our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, welcome back to you, Dave. Good afternoon, Gary. It's a busy time of year, isn't it? It certainly is, and it is so good to have you back in the studio. I'm amazed that you're actually able to find the time to come into the studio just a couple of days before Christmas. Look, Gary, um, being with you, sitting opposite you at a table at a desk <laughs> is is really, really something. Ah, uh, David, there's many, many who, many who uh, wouldn't actually agree with you on that particular one. But uh, tell me, have you finished your Christmas shopping? Um, my wife does a lot of the Christmas shopping, but no, I like leaving it right to the very end for that last minute inspiration. And I miss living in Melbourne. Uh, remember, I would visit one shopping centre that was open, I think, 30, 36 hours straight. Yeah. So you'd go in yeah. at midnight and there wouldn't be the same crowd. So that's what yeah. I like doing. I, I've got to admit, I agree with you. I, I do like delegating those types of responsibilities to my wife also. I think most years I only have to go and buy one present and that's uh, that's for my wife uh, because she can't buy her own present. Uh, but all the other presents are, have generally been bought by by Colleen. And look, there's a lot of research that shows that the amount of stress for men in buying presents is not too dissimilar to the stress levels of, of a pilot in a, in a fighter jet. So I've read stats on that. So that's for men, not for women, but for men. Well, I tell you what, I, I will actually remember that because, I mean, this time of the year, I mean, there are many occasions when, uh, you know, that's something my children uh, uh, do need to hear that uh, that reality. Uh, tell me, how is the Butcher Clan celebrating Christmas 2020? Yeah, look, obviously the Bible, um, you know, Jesus wasn't born at Christmas and, and it, it has pagan origins, etc. But it is a wonderful time to share the Christmas story because people are, uh, the birth of Jesus story, people are more open at this time of year and Easter to spiritual things. So yeah. for us, it's more of a get together, a family get together with family. And I guess as our extended family, as, as nieces and nephews get older, etc., it's, um, yeah, maybe not quite as tight, but yeah, we sort of get together for a meal and, and sort of have a good time. But yeah, it's about really catching up with family. Yeah, yeah. So are you going away at all? Yeah, I will take some time off and also, uh, you know, we're doing some, uh, we've got to redo our garden and we're just having a, a bathroom renovated at the moment. So it's a messy time, but it'll be time to sort of do a bit of work around the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, empathise totally with everything that you're saying there. But look, let's come to our religious, uh, to our news uh, segment. You know, since we're coming up to the Christmas season, we're looking at some of the really positive news headlines that are up there. Now, just uh, a week or so ago, I did actually share this one, but I really thought it was, it's actually worth us actually sharing. Again, and this is uh, uh, an anonymous woman uh, up in up on the Gold Coast pays off nearly sixteen thousand dollars of toy lay-by orders. Now, I, I love this particular story. This is what uh, uh, one of the newspapers on the on the Gold Coast uh, and hello to all our good friends uh, up in up in Queensland. An anonymous woman in Queensland uh, paid off about sixteen thousand dollars worth of toy lay-by orders last week, according to uh, Sunny Skies employees at Mr. Toy's Toy World uh, said the uh, woman and two of her friends
friends referred to themselves as Santa's helpers. We didn't get their names. All they said is to tell people it was Santa's helpers, said one of the employees. Uh, the woman told employees she just wanted to help people uh, after a, a really tough year. We were all speechless. It was a crazy moment, Gillespie said. About 80 orders were paid off. And one or another of the employees uh, said parents were brought to tears after they found out that their order had been paid. We wish uh, she could know how grateful people are, she said. In an interview with the Daily Mail, single mother, uh, one of the single mothers said uh, she had placed a $60 deposit on a $300 dollhouse for her daughter. I was shocked, she said, when she found out that the order had been paid. I couldn't believe it. It was amazing to hear that someone so generously went in and paid off all the laybys, and I was lucky enough to be one of them. If I could meet her, I'd give her a huge hug. I'd tell her how much this has helped me and hundreds of other families on the Gold Coast. She's just like a fairy godmother, she said. Another mother said she had about $600 in toys on lay-by for her two sons and a daughter. There's still good people out there, she said. The woman and her friends also gave gifts of chocolate and gift cards to employees and treated one shopper to a toy buying spree. They paid for his family's. Uh, their entire Christmas shop. Off the uh, top of my head, it was about three to four thousand dollars. Oh, we know, Dave. When I heard that, when I read that, I sort of thought, "Hey, what fantastic! What good news there is happening at Christmas!" Isn't it good when people are prepared to uh, to share? In that sort of manner, you know, I I, I actually picked up another uh, article in uh, uh, that actually came off the uh, religious uh, newswires as well, and uh, this concerned another guy. He 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 did it to a much larger extent, but a similar type of a concept. Uh, Dave Ramsey's company, this is an American company, paid off ten million in debt for eight thousand people to show. The love of Jesus. Now, I found that that little comment at the end was actually quite significant. And this is what the article said. The company, and this happened just a, just a week or two back, uh, the company founded by Christian financial expert Dave Ramsey uh, paid off 10 million worth of debt owed by 8,000 individuals this Christmas season in order to show the love of Christ to those in financial need. Ramsey's company, Ramsey Solutions, purchased $10 million in medical and automobile debt from two private debt collection companies simply in order to forgive it, Ramsey Solutions said in a press release. Ramsey said his team of 900-plus employees then made phone calls to the individuals who owned the debt uh, telling them that had now been forgiven. The individuals would also be notified by traditional mail, uh, said the press release. Uh, Ramsey's website, DaveRamsey.com, includes a video for those who may believe it's too good to be true. This year has been one of the hardest years for some. People have struggled financially in ways they never have before, Ramsey says in the videos. And that's why... We wanted to take this opportunity to show the love of Jesus by taking on the debt of 8,000 people across the country, a total of 10 million in debt, and we are completely forgiving it. We bought it. It's forgiven. That's right. We bought some of your medical, your car debt from the debt collection agency, and it's been paid off. You may be thinking, 
this is a scam. Nope, it's not a scam. Uh, We've just been where you are. We know how it feels. We hope that this will be a jumpstart on your journey to find financial peace so that one day you can live and give like no one else. Ramsey said he and his wife understand the pain of having creditors calling at all hours pestering you. We know what it's like to live from paycheck to paycheck and wonder how you're going to keep the lights on, he said. We truly were borrowers. We were slaves to the lenders, but we're never again moving into that debt. We managed somehow to dig ourselves out. You know, David, this, uh, these sorts of stories to me, I think what a fantastic stories for, for Christmas time. You know, don't you wish that we could all give those types of gifts? Look, absolutely. I mean, the Bible says it's better to give than receive, doesn't it? And the amount, the joy that you experience and the, just the, 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 the emotional well-being that you experience after doing something like that's incredible on a very small scale. Mm-hmm. My wife and I did that once at a restaurant. A family came in. They had a number of children, and they were celebrating some sort of birthday, presumably, and they probably wouldn't normally be in a restaurant. And uh, we were sitting on the other side of the restaurant. They didn't know we were there. We called the waiter over, and we said, look, we want to pay for dessert to that table over there. And we just sat and watched. And I tell you what, it was, it was really, really special to see this family get dessert they hadn't ordered it and they're sort of you know we didn't hear the conversation but you could see they were remonstrating saying they hadn't ordered anything and and then the the, the waiter must have said look it's it's been paid for and there was just this really positive look this appreciation but they didn't know who it was and it was really mm. yeah really um made me feel good inside that you know we can be selfish and and retain and keep but when we go to help others there is a real blessing not only to them mm. but to ourselves you know, David, one of the things that I'm so conscious of, you know, sometimes we think, oh, look, you know, I'm not rich enough to be able to give $10, $10 million to someone or $16,000 like that. You know, I mean, most of us aren't in a position to be able to do that. But, you know, I'm so conscious that sometimes it's the giving of the little things and even the non-monetary things that that seem to make a huge difference in people's lives. Look, absolutely. My, my daughter, um, she loves little artwork and craft, and she will make cards and gifts and mm. things like that, paint rocks for me, whatever it yeah, may be. And yeah. they are they are more precious than something that's been bought yeah. from an overseas yeah. factory somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, one of the things I think that is really missing in society today is that personal connection, the interpersonal relationships time. Mm. You go into an aged care home. You and I spoke a number of weeks ago mm. about this. and You go in there at Christmas uh, – Many, many um, residents may get a visit, yeah. but there are still so many that don't. And if, if, if people in aged care homes aren't visited at that time of year, when will they be visited? Exactly. So exactly. people are lonely. Mm. People want to be listened to. People want to be heard. They want to be, you know, they, they need time spent with them. So I think that is an incredible gift, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's the thing I suppose I'd love to encourage every single person to say, hey, look, you know, how about I spend just a little bit of more time, I give more of myself, you know, this this Christmas season, hey, I can't give $16,000, I can't give $10 million, but hey, I can give a little bit more of myself to somebody that I love or even somebody that I don't know all that well. And look, it's very simple, isn't it? The neighbours. Yesterday evening I had a meeting to go to and um, uh, the neighbour was cutting the hedge across the street and I backed out thinking I don't have time to talk to the neighbour. 
and and yet I had to because um, which was really good, and yeah. we had a really good conversation. But simple things like that, we need to. Allow time to talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's Christmas. Let's do it. Look, let's come to some uh, some music. This is Gavin Coyle. Uh, oh, holy night. Oh, please enjoy. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of
vocalist Gavin Coyle. Oh, holy, holy night. We've got a wonderful gift uh, for you today. Uh, the book that we're giving away today is the book Desire of Ages. This is a fantastic uh, little book. Desire of Ages is a book uh, that talks about the life of Jesus Christ from his birth uh, right through to his ascension in heaven. Uh, it's divided up into uh, into chapters that you will really appreciate. This, uh, this last year, I've actually read uh, this book myself from cover to cover uh, in my own devotional time. Uh, one of the ways I love using uh, this book uh, is to be able to take uh, just, a, uh, just a chapter a day and just simply read the chapter. It talks about various events in the life of Christ, and I found it incredibly powerful. David, how have you fa- have you read the book Desire of Ages? Yes, I have. And for me, uh, I recall one year when I read it, it was probably the most powerful devotional time I'd had with God. It's almost like looking at it. I still remember a black and white television when I was about seven years of age. <laughs> it's it's like, for me, looking at a black and white TV and then going to colour. Yeah. And maybe colour in HD. Yeah. Yeah. And so, for me, what it does is it really pulls together... Uh, you've got the biblical text, but it, it just paints a beautiful picture. It gives incredible insights that um, you might not have even thought of. So it's a powerful book. But the other reason why I like it is because it applies everything to us in our day. In our day and age. It challenges us. It does. It powerful does. book. Yeah, no, that's, this, is a, this is a fantastic book. Look, guys, I know that some of you are setting a New Year's resolutions. Uh, I know that that's the time of the year uh, that we set resolutions. One of those resolutions perhaps uh, might be, hey, I want to come closer to Jesus Christ. You know, there is no better way than grabbing hold of a book like Desire of Ages and saying, hey, look, you know, I'm going to read just a chapter a day. I'm going to look up the passages of Scripture that, that are in there. I, I, I think this is, a, this is a fantastic book for the beginning. This is a must read, Gary, a oh. must read, and people's relationship with Jesus will be incredibly enriched. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree totally with that. Look, folks, if you would like, we're happy to give you a uh, a copy of Desire of Ages this time of the year, so that you can set yourself up for your devotional for your devotional time. If you'd like a devotional uh, book, Desire of Ages, then just a simply text Desire of Ages. We do give away a number of books, so uh, please give us the the name of the book, Desire of Ages, with your name. And your address. Uh, just text that uh, to 0438 655. That's 0438 655. And we'll get to that to you by the fastest possible uh, means. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big QA with uh, Pastor Gary. Today, our co host is uh, David Butcher. David's the president of the Seventh day Adventist Church here in South Oz. And this week, we're looking at the Christmas promise and the big question for today. Is the virgin birth more than a fable? It was a, a couple of years back that I was uh, uh, looking at Christianity Today. I uh, love that magazine. There's so much uh, relevant material in there. They had an article inserted in their magazine. It was coming up to, to Christmas time. And uh, the article was entitled, The Virgin Birth... What's the problem exactly? And the author made some, I felt, some, some very relevant point and uh, points. And this is, uh, this is part of what that article said. Uh, my aim uh, is to explain what evangelical Christian belief, what we mean by the virgin birth. One thing it has certainly meant is a belief 
in the virginal conception of Jesus Christ in the womb of Mary, what is normally shortened to simply be the virgin birth. This used to be, the article says, one of the most discussed doctrines uh, of the uh, of the church, certainly in the 20th century uh, American Protestant Christianity. But many leading Protestant scholars have started to doubt uh, not merely the six-day uh, creation viewpoint presented in Scripture, but also many classic uh, Christian doctrines like a Jesus' bodily resurrection and his virgin birth. That is, the miraculous in general. The response of conservative Christians in America uh, collaced in a book entitled The Fundamentals, a testimony to the truth that was published by Biola University. Uh, the core fundamentals of faith, as outlined uh, within the Christian church, are generally seen to be a f- the divine inspiration of the scriptures, the miraculous stories in the Bible including six-day creation, the virgin birth of Christ, the Christ's literal bodily resurrection, Christ's bodily return. Uh, for, the, for, for those uh, who come from a, a biblical Christianity, the virgin birth is a consequence of belief in the miraculous. This is one large reason why it's singled out for defense. Now, David, the thing I'm so conscious of here is that Christianity, I mean, Christianity today, what it's actually saying is that there is actually a, a group of beliefs that come together. Christianity is very much a religion of the miraculous. We've got so many aspects of miraculous, I suppose, um, events recorded within the scripture. You know, you, we start with the miraculous creation of the earth. We uh, have the uh, uh, miraculous miracles that happen continually throughout the scriptures. We've got a miraculous resurrection. Uh, we've got things like predictive prophecy. We have angels. We have Satan. You know, these are all recorded in the Christian scriptures. And of course, along with that, we've got the thought of a virgin birth. Now, there are there are radio commentators that have really taken the Christian church to part uh, because of a concept of a, of a virgin birth. They can't quite imagine it. Yet, the thing I'm so conscious of is that within Scripture, there are so, there is so much of the of the miraculous that's actually spoken of. And so I suppose our, our question for today, certainly Christianity today, what, what they have done is they've actually said, hey, this is part of a suite of, um, of things which the Christian church itself has traditionally maintained. It's part of this thing called uh, the miraculous. So I suppose, David, my, uh, you know, my question, uh, to you is, you know, does Christianity have a, Christianity today actually have, have a point? Look, it certainly is part of a suite. A suite of beliefs and the miraculous. We live in a world, Gary, in the Western culture, which downplays or denies the supernatural. Yeah, uh, it's what we watch on movie screens. Uh, we enjoy it there, but it's not the real thing. And so, the supernatural doesn't really exist in our culture, or that's what's perceived often because we are uh, we 
we are rational, scientific, um, thinking people. We're naturalistic in our worldview. So much as, you know, everything is as it nat- occurs by natural laws. There Whereas, is an explanation for everything. There is an explanation for it. But, of course, within Scripture, Scripture actually transcends naturalism in a way that, you know, many can't comprehend today. Look, absolutely, and certainly other cultures, uh, belief in the supernatural, in deities and all this is is very prevalent, but not here. But it does come back to what you just said. It's the way we view things. And if someone um, views things from a, a belief that anything that the Bible may say is supernatural, that can be explained away, well, clearly they won't believe in the virgin birth. They won't believe in the resurrection. They won't believe in predictive prophecy. So it comes down to the lens through which we look Mm -hmm. Uh, because, hey, we can't convince someone of of miracles. It has to be a choice, but I believe it's a choice based on evidence. And so there's a suite of these things. So the worldview is critical. Mm-hmm. And for me, Gary, the biblical worldview, it's really like a pair of sunglasses. I put them on and it enables me to uh, perceive the reality of Scripture, the way mm-hmm. I view things. It's, it gives me the foundational uh, platform of which I approach Scripture with. And so let me explain that if mm, we can. Please do. Yeah, the Scriptures begin in the very first sentence, the very first verse with Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God. God created. Yeah. yeah, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but in the beginning, God. Mm-hmm. So there is no great explanation for who God is or anything like that. There is no big forward or, mm-hmm. or preface mm-hmm. explaining that, just in the beginning, God. It presupposes an existence of, uh, of, uh, of a deity. Mm-hmm. And it says that God created the heavens and the earth. So the framework within which I uh, look at Scripture, my worldview, and I believe the biblical worldview, is that we have a sovereign uh, creator, designer, an intelligent designer mm-hmm. that created everything and then just didn't sit back but was engaged fully and still is in in the life of this planet. There are those Christians that try and make a halfway house between science, if you like, or Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say science, but uh, current worldviews and perspectives Mm -hmm. and the biblical worldview of theistic evolution. And the danger of this is it's the idea that God started or directed the evolutionary processes, but this view makes God a bumbling, incompetent creator and the author of death and suffering as it puts these things before mankind's actual sin. Mm. Mm. It calls into question the truth of God's word and his character as an all-powerful and loving God. So this is why it's important with which worldview you have. And if you have the worldview of a theistic evolution, you're going to be questioning lots of things in Scripture. Mm. If you have the view that we have an eternal, sovereign, creator God that has always existed, that is a God of love, that overarches, that is all-knowing and all-powerful, well, then you will believe the Scriptures and and take them for what they say. I really like what you're saying here, the difference between two totally different worldviews because you've you have one that uh, uh, one that simply says hey this is um, the supernatural exists the other one says the supernatural doesn't exist but David is there is there any ev- I mean we keep on coming back to this issue of, of evidence mm. um, now uh, to me you know certainly the Christian worldview, um, you know, it, it, it assumes 
the supernatural. But is there evidence to uh, to correctly assume there the is. supernatural? Yeah, there is, and, and certainly we'll build this case, and that's why at the end the belief in the virgin birth for me is very logical. So let's begin that journey. Yeah, yeah. Um, firstly, I would suggest that Jesus, uh, the Bible says all Scripture is inspired by God. Mm-hmm. Jesus believed the Old Testament Scriptures. In John five thirty eight to 40, he said to the religious leaders, you search the Scriptures, for in them you, you seek to find life, but these are they which testify of me. Jesus believed the Entire word of God. Jesus interestingly believed uh, some of the books that are in question by um, liberal scholars and yeah. by scoffers yeah. outside of Christianity. Jesus talked about the book of Genesis and he talked about the book of Genesis, in fact, pointing forward to the times in which we live. He said in Matthew 24, 38 and 39, he said, For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Jesus clearly believed in a worldwide flood. In Matthew 20... Now, that's, that's interesting that you actually say that, David, because does that mean that if perchance I don't believe in a flood, I, I'm actually ignoring something that Jesus himself actually believed in and taught? Absolutely. Jesus was using this as a reference point for believers at the end of time being prepared for when Jesus returns, for when he returns. Mm. He was using this as an example. And, and he literally, he believed in this event. Now, Good. depending on my worldview, if I see a rainbow in the sky, I'll just think it's some uh, natural phenomena. Yeah, yeah. But if I believe the Genesis account, I will come to Genesis chapter 9 and I will find that God gave, um, he made a covenant with humanity, with Noah and humanity, saying that there never again would be a worldwide flood. Mm-hmm. And the rainbow was set as a bow in the sky to be an eternal reminder of that fact. Mm-hmm. So it, it comes down to the way we view things. Again in Matthew 24, another biblical book which is often in question because of the fact of predictive prophecy is Jesus talking about uh, the abomination of desolation, Matthew twenty four fifteen, and he says that it was spoken by Daniel the prophet. Mm. Now, the Bible also tells us that um, God knows the beginning from the end, and, and again, this presupposes something. Isaiah forty six nine to ten, the prophet Isaiah says, "Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God; there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done." saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So scripture tells us that God knows the future. Mm-hmm. And he reveals that through people in, in, in biblical times and even later called prophets. Mm-hmm. They were literally mouthpieces for God. And um, literally prophecy is a message that is given by God to humanity through a spokesperson called a prophet. Mm-hmm. But supernaturally revealed. Supernaturally revealed through often visions or dreams. Okay. And so we get to Daniel, like, is there evidence for the virgin birth? Well, as you have read, it was a whole, it's a whole suite of things which gives us that evidence. Predictive prophecy, prophecy that, that is often told in some past time, but is fulfilled, uh, later on, centuries mm-hmm. later, in fact, for some, t- some prophets once it was predicted. Let me give you an example. In, in Daniel chapter two and seven, you have uh, stories of a vision that uh, ancient Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar had of a gold of an image uh, made of different metals. This is a powerful story. This is a powerful story. Now, this was given 600 BC, mm. and 
Daniel is given, uh, the king is, receives this dream and vision. He doesn't understand it. Daniel prays. God gives him the understanding. And Daniel reveals to the king successive world empires from the Babylonian world empire. Mm. Now, Daniel 2 is one chapter that has turned many skeptics into Bible-believing Christians. It has. It has. Because history... Uh, attests and confirms the veracity of the dreams that were given to this ancient King Nebuchadnezzar there mm. in what we would call modern-day Iraq, mm. of successive empires, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, and right down to, I guess, Western Europe today. And the thing that really stands out to me, you know, David, is I, uh, there's a similar prophecy in Daniel Daniel 7 and, and 8 uh, where a similar ground is actually covered, but in those uh, chapters you actually find that the the nation of of um, Medo Persia and Greece are actually named, and you're talking hundreds of years before they actually existed. You find this uh, this prophet turns around and says, "The kingdom of Greece is going to come up," and you know we're talking two hundred years before it actually existed. And even reference to the king, if you like, which the was first Alexander king, the Alexander Great. Great, powerful material. So, so this. Prophecy, predictive prophecy in Daniel 2, as you say, given hundreds of years prior to some of these kingdoms existing, uh, reaches down through Earth's history to our day, in fact, to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, every one of those kingdoms came and went, as was predicted hundreds of years ago, 600 Mm. B.C., Mm. And so when we look at predictive prophecy, we can have complete confidence that um, what the Bible says is actually true. We can look at other things such as the resurrection account. And I know you, you talked about that. That um, And this is a really good one where there is uh, really credible, I believe, evidence for, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, we know that uh, outside of biblical material, there is evidence that Jesus existed. He was a moral teacher, most people think. And it's interesting, you know, just as recently as about three days ago, somebody actually said to me, they said, hey, you know, this issue of G- did Jesus really exist? You know, how would you respond? And, and they actually said to me, how would you actually respond to somebody who is an agnostic about this issue of did Jesus exist? And uh, my response to them was, hey, look, I actually personally wouldn't go to the scriptures on this particular one because to me there are uh, there are two two secular historians out there. One's a man called Tacitus and another one's called Josephus. Now, uh, okay, there are some who debate portions of what um, uh, um, Josephus actually says, but Tacitus, these guys are people who opposed Christianity and yet they have written and they have established that Jesus Christ did come and that he was a worker of miracles and that strange things uh, happened when Jesus Christ was actually on the earth and, and I actually just said to, to that person who was talking to him, I said, hey, I'd actually go to history because history attests to it. Absolutely. No question that he existed. The yeah. question that is left in many minds is, is he who he said he was? Yeah. Is he the son of God? Is he God himself? So Jesus was crucified. History tells us that outside yeah. of the Bible. Yeah. He was he was crucified on a cross. Uh, the Bible talks about an empty tomb, uh, and that is the, the, the mm. story that Christianity mm. tells. It's interesting that the biblical evidence suggests to us that, or doesn't suggest, tells us that the women were, women were the first people that found the empty tomb uh, and that knew of his resurrection. Now, in the biblical culture, 
women weren't considered credible witnesses. You wouldn't take a, a, a lady into a witness stand. She wasn't considered credible. Yeah. If you wanted to... Uh, if you wanted to write scripture to make it believable in that era, you wouldn't have used women to be the first witnesses. Yeah. And yet yeah. that's what the Bible writers do. They do. Yeah. Uh, many evidences um, that the uh, multiple gospel accounts give evidence, in fact, they all do, of Jesus' resurrection. Yeah. They give different details. And this really wasn't questioned. I mean, some of these Bible writings, when they were written, particularly if you look at Paul and what he wrote in Corinthians, when he talks about there were still people alive in his day yeah. that witnessed the resurrection. So these things weren't questioned. Multiple accounts of biblical writers. And when you think about it, David, you know, it was uh, the, the, the Jewish leaders particularly were really uh, anti the early Christian church. And the Christian church was pu- was publishing abroad this uh, this um, view that Jesus Christ had actually risen from the dead. Now, how easy it would have been for them to have simply turned around and brought out a, a body perhaps or uh, maybe refuted it and said, hey, look, here's witnesses. It didn't happen. And yet what we find is... None of that actually happened. And that's right, Gary. I mean, let's think about it. As we read the book of Acts, we know that persecution broke out against the Christian church. Uh, Saul, he was Saul who became Paul. He was one of the ones charged with going all through the Mediterranean Mm. to go and arrest these people, throwing them in prison. What an expense. Now, if you could drag out the body of this was Jesus, it would be over. It's all finished. All finished. I mean, I remember when Saddam Hussein was um, was found and killed, they showed his body to prove it. Yeah. Um, and yet the resurrection of Jesus was a core teaching of these early Christian believers. And as you say, uh, it was the center of their teaching. So how easy would and it it's be? And it's another supernatural belief. You know, these are the things that start to, to me to start to stack up. See, the worldview of Christianity is that there is a God, a supernatural God, who is actually able to impact human history. That's right. And what we've got here, we've got predictive prophecy. We've got this resurrection. We see... Uh, Certainly in a number of cultures, there are miracles that we know of today. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, David, keep moving. Let's yeah, I'll give one more, Gary, and then maybe we need to actually move on and begin to look at, um, uh, you know, the virgin birth. So one of them I want to touch base on, the last one I will, is the surprising lack of tomb veneration. In other words, you go to the Holy Land and there are all sorts of sites where people come and worship uh, the, mm. the relics, if you like, or the place itself. And in the Bible time, there were people that worshipped and venerated the tombs of some of the great prophets and kings. Now, Jesus, of anyone, could have been venerated and worshipped by Christians if there was a tomb and all those sorts of things. But there is no record of veneration of the tomb of Jesus. Why? Mm. Why would that be most plausible? Because his body wasn't there. Mm. So there is incredible, credible evidence that Jesus did rise from the dead. There is a predictive prophecy which proves the Bible to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt. So when we get to the virgin birth, it is quite a simple thing. Look, let's come to some uh, some music if we can on that one, David, and then we'll look at it as soon as we come back from uh, from this music. Please enjoy Jordan Smith. It came upon a midnight clear. i 
that glorious song of old from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of upon uh, midnight clear we've got our gift for you again today if you'd like to have if you'd like to possess the book desire of ages this is an absolutely marvelous devotional book i've read it this year myself i i read it for my devotional time take a chapter or so a day i believe your spiritual life will really grow if you spend some time in this book desire of ages uh, desire of ages is available to you today just a text uh, desire of ages please text the name of the book it's really important so we know the name of the the book that you're requesting desire of ages with your name and your address uh, to 0438 066635 that's 0438 066635 and we'll have the book to you uh, by the fastest available uh, means. Uh, you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with Pastor Gary. Today our co-host is uh, Pastor David Butcher and David's the president of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, this week we're looking at the Christmas promise and the big question for today is the virgin birth. Is it more than fable? David, really appreciate what you've actually been sharing uh, so far today. Um, the virgin birth itself, 
Any more thoughts? Okay, so in the Old Testament, Gary, there are estimated to be 300 messianic prophecies. I know some of those have already been looked at, Mm. but um, one of them I want to touch on, and -hmm. these have all come true, and this is found in Micah, the Old Testament book written hundreds of years, I think about 700-odd years before the birth of Jesus. Mm -hmm. This is what it says, Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Mm -hmm. Written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, but here we have the prediction of Bethlehem Ephratah. There were two Bethlehems. Mm -hmm. One was in the tribe of Zebulun up north. Mm -hmm. Uh, This Bethlehem was Bethlehem uh, in Judah, near Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Bethlehem Ephratah. And the Old Testament writer, six, seven hundred years prior to the birth of Jesus, wants to make sure that we know which Bethlehem Jesus will be born in, the town of David, if you like. And it says here that there will be one born whose goings forth are from one who will come whose goings forth are from of old from everlasting Mm. in other words someone will come out of this town who is eternal who has no beginning Mm. this is Jesus Christ Mm. and so when we believe in the supernatural in scripture that God is in control of everything and he is all knowing and that um, there is things such as the flood we can believe in the virgin birth so let's go into that Gary Um, there are two uh, of the narratives I want to look at, uh, Luke and Matthew. Uh, and these two gospel accounts of the virgin birth, they overlap on some of the particulars. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, we read, Then the angel said to her, this is Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Mm-hmm. So this is Gabriel that comes and speaks to her and says, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. Then in verse 34 and 35 of Luke 1, Mary responds. I don't know. I've never spoken to an angel. right? Mm-hmm. This is what Mary mm-hmm. said. How can this be since I do not know a man? Now, what she's saying, that word what a, no. What, yeah, what a powerful statement she's actually making here. What she is saying, the word no, when Adam Adam knew Eve and Eve conceived a son. In other words, they had um, sexual relations, Eve got pregnant, and they had a son. Mm. When Mary here in Luke 1 says to the angel, how can this be? How can I, how, how can I have a child? How can I get pregnant since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Mm-hmm. I'm a virgin. Yeah. Um, And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. This is the divine. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that holy one is to be born will be called the Son of God. Mm. That's the account of Luke. So in that account, Mary, this young woman, probably a a, a, a late teenager, 16, 17, 18, uh, is told she's going to bear the Son of God. She Mm. is going to be pregnant, but she's not going to have sexual relations. In Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25, and we won't read it all, but it says... um, Now, the birth of Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together. Mm -hmm. In other words, before they were engaged, before they were married, before they came together, before there were sexual relationships, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know in that story, Joseph, who we believe was quite older, he was going to put her away quietly because Mm. it was a shameful thing to marry someone that's pregnant who's been messing around. But then the angel comes and says to him, no, this is of God. 
in, in a night vision. Uh, and uh, the angel says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Remember Emmanuel. Uh, then Joseph wakes up, and it says here, uh, Joseph aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife. So they got married. And she's already pregnant, remember? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it says in verse 25 of Matthew 1, and he did not know her, didn't have sexual relations, till she had brought forth her firstborn child, and he called his name Jesus. So mm-hmm. she's already pregnant. In fact, the, the gospel account suggests that she was at least three months pregnant prior to Joseph marrying her. Yeah. So, and there was no sexual relationship between Mary and Joseph till after. Jesus is born. And to me, David, you know, the thing that really jumps out at me is that this is something that was never disputed in the New Testament. You know, there are many disputes that were actually held in the New Testament. There were many disputes between even uh, Jew and, and Greek. There Christians, was just, can we between, eat this? Can Do we, we have, have to be this? circumcised? All these things. But this teaching, is, it's written in the Gospels. And yet, uh, with the uh, with, with general knowledge of all that is out there, it's never disputed at any point. And even in the historical literature, it's not disputed. Not at all. And if there was an older sibling or, or a brother or if the dates didn't match up, this would be shot down, completely shot down. Um, and Jesus had siblings. And if you read the gospel accounts, and there's debate as to whether they were from Mary or from a previous marriage to Joseph. Mm. Uh, Women often died in childbirth. I personally believe, Scripture doesn't say, that Jesus' brothers and sisters were from a previous uh, marriage that Joseph had, Mm. and his wife probably died. Now, the Bible doesn't say that. I think there is evidence for that. But they were against Jesus. Mm. But after the resurrection, we get to the the acts and everything of the apostles, and we find that the brothers and sisters were the, his brother James was the leader of the Jerusalem church. Yeah. Now they could have said this is a load of baloney, but they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely you know, it's, it's not. something. Where, it's when your family turns around and starts to you know come on board and is actually supporting what I mean. I imagine the discussions that must have gone on uh, somewhere between uh, the brothers of Jesus and their mother, Mary. I mean, hey, you know, she, at some point she's had to have revealed this, uh, certainly uh, to those individuals. Absolutely, 100%. Now, there's some other interesting evidence, Gary, um, some really good evidence. Now, in Isaiah chapter 7 in the Old Testament, verse 14, uh, in fact, there's a prophecy here, a story given about a, a king called Ahaz. And he was wanting to make an alliance with the Assyrians because the Assyrians were trying to attack. So King Ahaz, instead of going to God, goes to the Assyrians to try and make a pact. And Isaiah goes to King Ahaz and said, hey, this is not good. You're you're not trusting God. He says to Ahaz, ask God for a sign. Ahaz refuses. And so God says this. God says, well, I'll give you a sign. Um because Ahaz says no. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, it is a small is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Then verse fourteen of Isaiah seven, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This is seven hundred years before the birth of mm. Christ. Now it says the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Now it is important to note that in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word Word is not virgin. Mm-hmm. It simply means young woman. Okay. Young woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and this prophecy probably has its 
fulfillment, a fulfillment in one of Isaiah's children, possibly. Uh-huh. But it also has an ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, there didn't seem to be in scriptural times the same amount of um, uh, sexual relationships outside of marriage as what we have today. Uh-huh. A- and so this prophecy, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, a virgin, which is really a young woman, Mm. she would be a chaste young woman anyway. She Mm. would be a virgin, even though the word doesn't say virgin, it's young woman. And it says that she'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us, which is very interesting because that's what we read in Matthew and Luke, that that, um, he was to call, Joseph was to call Jesus' name Emmanuel, God with Mm. us. Mm. So this is predicted 700 years in advance. The apostles also, if they had have thought Jesus was illegitimate, do you really think that they would have been declaring and preaching um, that Jesus was the Son of God? I don't think so. Mm. In fact, when we get to Paul in the New Testament, he, um, you know, there was there was conservative uh, Christians in the church, and if they thought doctrines had been tampered with, they would have argued against it. In Titus one verse nine, Paul says, "Hold fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to extort and convict." Sorry, exhort. Not extort. Exhort and convict those who contradict. So if there had have been a, a false doctrine about Jesus' birth, that it was illegitimate, not the virgin birth, this would have been shot down by some mm. of Jesus's, uh, some Christians later on. So, Gary, I believe there is ample evidence. There are so many more things we could touch on with the virgin birth. But um, when we look at the whole account, the supernatural in Scripture, the predictive prophecy, the resurrection, which was fact, mm. then the virgin birth fits in beautifully with all of that, along with the messianic prophecies of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, David, because you know I've I've actually said to a number of people, I've said, hey, look, you know, if you start to throw out uh, the supernatural uh, elements of Scripture, of which for a number of elements there is substantive evidence, then where do you actually stop? You know, if you, uh, if in fact you're going to throw out the uh, supernatural elements, we've got, okay, the virgin birth, you've got the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've got predictive prophecy, you have, uh, you know, Jesus Christ coming again, you have creation, you know, it's one of those things that uh, we look at and we simply say, hey, uh, which, which of these uh, would you be prepared to throw out? You know, the thing I'm just so thankful for is that I believe we do actually serve a supernatural God. We do. We serve a supernatural God who is able to raise the dead, who is able to work miracles, who is able to create, uh, who is able to reveal the future, who is able to actually creating life in within mankind, uh, within a virgin without the uh, the necessity of a man. And Gary, I'm really conscious of what you're saying here. I believe one of the greatest supernatural miracles that God can do is to change the human heart. So important. I want to leave you with one verse, Gary. It's Ezekiel 36, verse 26. And for our listeners, if you're struggling uh, in how you feel, that you're too far from God, that God cannot do anything for you, listen to this. 
It's a new international version of Ezekiel 36.26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God is in the business of a supernatural conversion in the lives of his followers. So if someone is out there struggling, if someone wants a new beginning and we're coming up to Christmas and their New Year's, then I would suggest pour your heart out to God, pray to him and ask him to change you. Because a new beginning is possible. It is guaranteed yeah, to be possible. Yeah, yeah. Folks, look, we, uh, we are coming to the, to the very end of our program. Our time, our time is up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time. Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Helen Gray ask, is the biblical Christmas story still relevant? Look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God uh, richly bless you.